Well, grace and peace to you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you are here with us today. We have already been blessed tremendously. We've been blessed by your generosity to amen, and we appreciate that. We are certainly blessed by the presence of LaVon here this morning. It just kind of, we haven't felt whole since you've been here, and so we're grateful for you today. So we are continuing our preaching from the Poets series, and we're looking at um, an artist this morning, uh, Mary Gaucher, and she uh, is someone that the Associated Press named as one of the best songwriters of her generation. She is a Grammy-nominated artist whose songs have been recorded by Jimmy Buffett and Blake Shelton, Tim McGraw, and many others. And the song we're looking at is entitled Mercy Now. And Rolling Stone named it as one of the 20 saddest songs of all time. Now, Mary Gaucher said that she appreciates being mentioned in Rolling Stone, but, but she doesn't think of her song as being sad. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at that and you can, you can make up your own mind. But she wrote this song about specific events that were happening in, in her life and, and in the news in 2003. But as you'll see, it's a timeless song that is applicable to any age. Now, some songs we don't know much about at all. The songs and the songwriters are sort of mysterious. The songs become whatever the audience makes them out to be. And then there are other songwriters who are more open about the process, and they're willing to, to share about what led them to write their songs. And Mary Gaucher is such an artist, she has written at length about the events and meaning behind this song. I'm going to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. And so before we look at the lyrics, I want to uh, read some of her own words that kind of led her to writing this song, kind of the circumstances behind it. She says, I was sitting on my bed in a small motel room in Canada, thinking about my father. He'd wrecked his car on the way to Rouse's Grocery in Thibodeau and landed upside down in a ditch. Taken by ambulance to the hospital, he ended up with withdrawal from alcohol, suffering TIA, small strokes of the brain that left him with Alzheimer's-like symptoms. He was moved into a home with an around-the-clock nurse. My sister called to tell me he was not improving and I should go see him while I still could. So I got on a plane. I stopped along the way from the airport to pick him up a couple packs of through the loom t-shirts, some boxer shorts, a half dozen pairs of new socks, things my sister said that he needed. When I arrived, a nurse was sitting in a chair guarding the only exit door. I asked her why she was blocking the door, and she said my father had walked out into the street and almost got hit by a car. He became agitated when she stopped him from going outside again. She looked exhausted. I thanked her for watching over him. She said he was in his bedroom. I approached hesitantly, poked my head in. Hey, Daddy, how are you? He looked up from the bed where he was sitting, fully clothed, shoes on, staring at the wall. We have to stop them. I said, Daddy, it's Mary. Do you know who I am? We have to go now. Let's go. Stop them. I put my hand on his shoulder. Daddy, why don't you lay down? Can I lay down next to you? Let's rest. 
He ignored me, got up, walked to the kitchen, and started pacing. The nurse flinched, thinking he was going to try to bolt again. He started searching drawers and cabinets, and I asked him what he was looking for. He said he needed to write something down, now. I found a yellow legal pad and a pencil and handed them to him. Then my father, a man known for beautiful penmanship since he was a boy, sat perfectly straight at the kitchen table and proceeded to write gibberish, scratches that looked like the scrawled lines of a preschooler. He held the legal pad up to his chest, looked up and said, sir, no sir, I cannot answer that question, sir. Was he on the witness stand in some kind of military tribunal in his mind? Was he back in Korea where he'd served two years in counterintelligence during the Korean War? He'd never spoken of the war or his service. I had no reference for what he was saying. His face had taken on a smooth, healthy glow. His skin was clearer than I'd ever seen it. Before the wreck, he was a daily drinker and three-pack-a-day smoker. Had he forgotten he smoked and drank? The thousands of broken capillaries in his face that had covered him from ear to ear caused by decades of alcoholism were healing. He looked 20 years younger than the last time I saw him, but his mind was gone. He lost what he was saying in mid-sentence, got confused, put the pencil and paper down, and went back to his bedroom and sat on the bed and began staring again. I followed behind him. He said, can we pray? I winced and reached for his hand and held it against my heart. I hadn't held my father's hand in over 40 years. He looked at me for a moment. Then he said, baby, daddy is dying. Now I want you to hear the lyrics of this song. My father could use a little mercy now. The fruits of his labor fall and rot slowly on the ground. His work is almost over. It won't be long. He won't be around. I love my father. He could use some mercy now. My brother could use a little mercy now. He's a stranger to freedom. He's shackled to his fear and his doubt. The pain that he lives in, it's almost more than living will allow. I love my brother. He could use some mercy now. My church and my country could use a little mercy now. As they sink into a poison pit, it's going to take forever to climb out. They carry the weight of the faithful who follow them down. I love my church and country. They could use some mercy now. Every living thing could use a little mercy now. Only the hand of grace can end the race towards another mushroom cloud. People in power, they'll do anything to keep their crown. I love life, and life itself could use some mercy now. Yeah, we all could use a little mercy now. I know we don't deserve it, but we need it anyhow. We hang in the balance, dangle between hell and hallowed ground, and every single one of us could use some mercy now. What is mercy? How do you define it? How would you describe it to someone who is asking? 
I think we all understand the concept of mercy, but it's difficult to put it into words. And it doesn't get any easier when you begin to explore the, the biblical roots of this word. You will discover that there are multiple Hebrew and Greek words that are translated as mercy. One of the most well-knowns of these words is the Hebrew word hesed, which is often translated as God's loving kindness. I want you to listen to how David John Williams defines the word, uh, how the word hesed is understood as mercy. He says, when Israel broke covenant with God, what might otherwise have been described as the latter's faithfulness to the relationship becomes again his uncovenanted mercy. That is the steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of his faithless and erring people becomes the essential meaning of the Hebrew word. Thus, hesed is not something prescribed. It is an expression of love and generosity. It is often surprising and genius. God shows his hesed, especially to Israel, despite its persistent failure. Mercy is also associated with the word compassion, and so it's sometimes defined as compassion in action. And so think about all the times that, that Jesus encounters someone in the Gospels or he encounters a group of people, and the text says that he had compassion on them. This is Jesus showing mercy. However, mercy is not just a feeling. When Jesus has compassion on a person or a group of people, he not only feels something, but he helps them as well. So what is mercy? Well, perhaps the best definition is found in Luke chapter 10. Here, Jesus doesn't just give us a definition. He gives us a story. He tells us of a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when all of a sudden he's ambushed by a gang of robbers who beat him and they take all of his clothes and they leave him for dead. Now this was a well-traveled road and others came along. They passed by, but they refused to help. He was ignored by a priest and a Levite. But eventually a Samaritan comes upon this man and helps. The text says when he saw him, he had compassion. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He brings him to an inn. He takes care of the bill. And not only that, he promises to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to check on you. See how it's going. And at the end of the story, Jesus asks the lawyer whom he's telling it to, he says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer replies to Jesus, the one who showed him mercy. Amen. What is mercy? Well, it is the good Samaritan having compassion on this man and stopping to help. And Jesus tells this lawyer, he says, go and do likewise. And this is what Jesus expects of us as well. God is a merciful God. Jesus embodies mercy. He lives it out. And we are to be like God. We are to be like Jesus. We are to be a merciful people. We see how important mercy is when Jesus has an encounter with some Pharisees in Matthew chapter 9. It says, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How important is worship? I think all of us here this morning probably understand it as being essential to being a follower of God. You know, we know about all the regulations for worship under the law of Moses. We quote Hebrews and we remind ourselves that we're not to forsake the assembly. Worship is important and we're serious about worship. But Jesus says it's not as important as mercy. If we never fail to miss worship, but neglect to practice mercy, then we have fallen short. We've not done what Jesus requires because he requires mercy. And so what is mercy? Think back to that definition I gave you just a few moments ago. It is the steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of his faithless and erring people. It is God showing his said, his loving kindness, especially to Israel, despite its persistent failure. We need to take these definitions and apply them to the people whom we encounter. We need to apply them to the situations in our lives. Mercy is treating people with compassion. It is showing compassion to people who may be unworthy. It is showing compassion to people who might not deserve it. Why? Well, because that's how God treated us. And God refuses to give up on us. And he shows his loving kindness towards us even when we fall short. And so we need to remember this and go and do likewise. Mary Gaucher's song opens by exploring the troubles of her father who's dealing with dementia and he's at the end of his life. It then turns to her brother who has his own struggles and he's wrestling with demons. And then she turns to country and church. And this might seem a little unusual, but she talks about this verse in her book. She says at the time she was traveling a lot overseas and she had an American flag guitar case and she would just get dirty looks because of certain headlines in the news about things involving our country. She also said during this time that there were several big news stories about church scandals going on. Now she does not excuse the bad behavior in those stories, but she wonders if we might ought to show institutions mercy just as we show people mercy. I think that's a good thought that's grounded in Scripture. And she has an important line in that verse about country and church, which is this, they carry the weight of the faithful who follow them down. We live in a day and age where institutions are an easy target. Trust in institutions are an all-time low. 
People want to tear them down. People like to lambast them and dismiss them as irrelevant. We're talking about institutions like the government, education, police, churches, science, and you go on and on and on. All, these institutions are all being demonized by some group in our country. Now, they're not all innocent. I admit that. Some have done some very awful things. But this song reminds us that these institutions are also made up of some really good people. And maybe, just maybe, even institutions deserve a little mercy from time to time. What a radical concept. What a countercultural idea. We live in a time of outrage. People are constantly upset. People are constantly angry. And this posture towards both people and institutions is not leading us to a better place. What if we took Jesus seriously? What if instead of being outraged, we practiced mercy? What if we devoted ourselves to the very thing that Jesus desires? What would the world look like then? How would our relationships be different? How might our very souls grow and mature? The people around you may not deserve mercy. They probably don't. But they need it. We don't deserve mercy. But we need it. We are all here this morning because of mercy. Someone in your life showed you mercy. Someone did not give up on you. God did not leave you alone. God did not abandon you. God showed you mercy and you are better because of it. Because mercy is a transforming power that leaves this world a better place. And we are all in need of it. Yeah. We all could use a little mercy now. I know we don't deserve it, but we need it anyhow. And so I would encourage us not to focus on who is deserving and who is not. None of us are. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 states, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God is not going to run out of mercy. And that means we don't have to hoard it as well. It's not our role to deem anyone undeserving of mercy. It's our role to be like God and to practice mercy as often as we can. Mary Gaucher did not just write this song. She has tried to practice what this message is all about over the years. She acknowledges that um, it's not easy. But it's a song that has changed her life for the better. And so before we go, I want to share one more story with you from her life that's connected to this song. And this was few years later after she had written it and she was performing around the world and she said I was signing autographs after a show at the Edmonton Folk Festival in Alberta 
when I saw a woman with a black lab service dog on a short leash standing in the back waiting for the line to wind down. She approached the table when I was done and introduced herself. Hi, my name is Carla. She paused, offered me a huge smile, glanced down at the lab, and this is Lando. She spoke full mouth, a little loud, theater major, I thought. She said, I'm here to put in a request. Oh Lord, I thought, a request. I'm a music therapist at a hospice. I have a client who owned a record store downtown for years. He's a huge music fan and a big fan of yours. He does not have long to live, and it would mean a lot if you'd come sing for him before you leave. She paused. I could come get you at your hotel tomorrow morning, bring you back. The whole thing would probably take about an hour. Oh boy, what to say. I had not been inside a hospice since AIDS had taken the lives of so many of my close friends 20 years prior. Returning to hospice was scary. It would conjure ghosts. I needed a minute. I looked down, tried to think. The process of dying is an intimate, intensely personal unfolding. In addition to worrying about stirring up grief for my past, I was afraid of invading a private moment, maybe even adding to a family's distress. How could I go into a hospice room with a frightened family I'd never met open up my guitar case, pull out my guitar, and start singing. Carla, this scares me. She smiled, grabbed my arm, lowered her voice. Mary, I'll walk you through it. Lando and I do this every day. Just follow our lead. I hesitated. I really did not want to do it. It would mean a lot to Robert, she said. I'd met men like Robert over the years, music lovers and true friends to singer-songwriters like me. Robert probably sold my records one at a time, suggesting each person give my music a listen. I felt indebted, torn. I looked at Lando, his shiny black coat, sweet face, beautiful eyes. I caved. Okay. All right. The next morning, I stood nervously sipping hot coffee by the valet station at 9.45 a.m., wishing I'd said no. I was not looking forward to going to a hospice to sing for a dying man. Carla pulled up in a van, head bobbing, singing along with the radio. She waved, smiled, hit a button. The side door of the van slid open, and the music got louder. I tossed in my guitar. Lando surrendered the passenger seat to me hopped in the back and poked his face through the space between the two front seats. I petted his head and tried not to think about what we were, uh, where we were going. We drove through downtown Edmonton, making small talk until we arrived at the hospice. As we headed in, Lando stayed by Carla's side, no leash. At the nurse's station, the nurses smiled, petted Lando. Carla introduced me. I explained that I was a songwriter, lived in Nashville, was in town for the weekend, as we made our way down the hall, Carla said she'd spoken to Robert's wife and she was expecting us. The door was cracked open, the room dark. Carla gave a little knock, announced herself, marched in and turned on the overhead fluorescence. The room lit up brightly. Lando stayed by her side, ears up, tail wagging. I followed a few steps behind them, hesitant, my guitar in a soft case on my shoulder. Robert was unconscious. His wife sat in a chair by the side of his bed. Carla gave her a quick hug. Robert had been unconscious for 48 hours, his breathing shallow. 
The doctors weren't sure he'd regain consciousness. His wife had dark circles under her eyes. Carla patted Robert's bed two times and Lando jumped up on it. He lay down next to Robert and rested his head on Robert's chest. He gazed at Robert's unconscious face. Carla bent down over Robert and shouted, Mary Gaucher is here. She's here to sing for you. Isn't that wonderful? No response. Carla shouted again, her face lowered directly next to Robert's left ear. Robert, wake up! Mary Gaucher is here to sing for you. She put a hand on his shoulder, and her other hand grabbed his hand and held it. He did not respond. Carla nodded at me. Your turn. Sing now. I pulled my guitar out of the case, turned it, put on my harmonica holder, and nervously started Mercy Now. I focused on the meaning of every word. And after the last note rang out, I was hoping for a miracle. But Robert's eyes remained closed. He had not moved. The room was silent. We all watched, waited. Then his lips slightly moved. His wife jumped up from her chair. Carla shouted directly into his ear, Robert, what did you say? Robert's lips moved ever so slightly, and a faint, frail sound came out. Carla, trying to make out what he was saying, her ear almost on his lips, broke out into a smile. She turned to us and said, Robert says he is richly blessed. A lump formed in my throat. My worries about conjuring ghosts or being invasive suddenly seemed selfish, petty. This was about Robert and the song, not me. I put my guitar down, reached for Robert's hand, and squeezed it. He squeezed back softly, strangers no more. I'd done nearly nothing, and now a dying man felt richly blessed. And his wife would have a few more hours with him awake before he passed, all because of a song. A song. Acts of mercy do not have to be big. And something that might seem very small to us might be huge to someone else. We never know how the merciful acts that we engage in might impact another person. We never know how God is going to work in the lives of the people around us. And so what we must do is commit ourselves to being the people of God, the people that God would have us to be, people who make a difference, people who are devoted to acts of mercy. The world wants us to be something different. The world does not care much for mercy. The world wants us to be continuously appalled and outraged. But we must not allow the world to triumph over the power of mercy. We must not allow the world to drown out the voice of Jesus. We must listen intently to the words of life. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Dear God, we come 
before you this morning as a people in need of mercy. Father, we know that we do not deserve it, but we also know that you are a God rich in mercy and that you do not give up on us and that you do not let us be and that you are there even when we may turn our backs on you. And for this, we are grateful. Father, I pray that we would remember this as we go out into a world that is dark, a world that is sometimes evil, a world that is certainly undeserving of mercy. I pray that our hearts would not be hardened, but that we would have hearts like yours and that we would be merciful just as you have been merciful to us. We're so grateful for Jesus who embodied mercy and showed us how to live. May we walk in his footsteps. May we imitate him. And may people see Jesus in us. We pray this in his name. Amen.